Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Welcome back, friends. Thursdays are quickly becoming my favorite day of the week because we get to share new stories. And I love seeing all the amazing love that you guys are sharing online. Honestly, your gratitude goes a very long way. Guests from the show talk about how gracious y'all are online and how you tag them. And I'm truly honored to spend time with you each week. This week, we're talking about finding hope in hard places. Our guest this week is Levi Lesko, who is a pastor, author, podcaster, and church planner. But one of his most cherished roles is that of father. Several years ago, I remember learning about the tragic passing of his daughter, Lenya, and it hit way too close to home. Though I wasn't close with the Luscos, I had met them and saw them at churches or at conferences, and I even met their kids. On the day of the funeral, I felt an inordinate desire to watch a funeral and send love even though to this day, they don't know I watched the service from start to finish. There was something about how they opened up their lives that made me want to support and carry their grief and pain with them. From that day, a day marked by such pain, I held Jenny and Levi Lesko in the greatest regard. They demonstrated such hope that I wanted to learn from them and emulate their faith. If you're anything like me, when we face this type of loss or grief or death, we are faced with questions like, why was her life taken so tragically, so painfully? How could this happen to such a good person? Why did God allow this to happen? Though these questions are hard, they're also normal. They've been asked for centuries from the mouths of the faithful and the faithless alike. Death isn't something that we like to talk about. If you're under 30 years old, it's something rarely even discussed. But whether we acknowledge it or not, death will happen, and sometimes it will happen in different ways more often than we'd like to admit. We might experience the death of a dream. We might experience the death of a marriage. We might encounter the death of a friendship. We might go through a death of a business. How can we survive the death, whether physical or emotional, of a relationship, a loved one, or even our own dreams? Pastor Levi is going to share some amazing learnings on finding hope in hard places, but I really want us to know that hope can be experienced after grief. So before we slap hope on hard places, let's quickly discuss four lessons on grief that I've compiled from the Old Testament book of Ruth. You might not have read this book sandwiched in the pages of the Old Testament, but I've got great news for you. If you subscribe to the show or leave a podcast review, take a snapshot of that and email it to podcast at inthenameoflove.org, and I'll give you a free six-week Bible study guide and video teaching through my favorite book of the Bible. If you're the note-taking type, I want you to jot down these four learning lessons on grief. And guess where we find them? out of the book of Ruth. Number one, acknowledge reality. Here's the thing that we don't really want to talk about, and here's a spoiler alert for the book of Ruth. Ruth needed, as we all do, to have a space to acknowledge her new reality. Well, what was her new reality? Her husband died, her father-in-law died, her brother-in-law died. Her dreams of a family and a life were buried six feet under multiple times over. It wasn't necessary for Ruth to rush in with boxes of tissue and quote spiritual platitudes. Instead, Ruth simply showed up for herself and for others. She showed support and walked the journey with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back home. And as a reminder, the death of an elderly man doesn't hurt less than the death of a newborn baby. The breakup of a relationship doesn't hurt less if a person was cheated on. The loss of a job doesn't hurt less because the work environment was unhealthy. 
It is more important to acknowledge the pain and reality of loss than attempt to find the silver lining you might think will lessen the blow. So number one, acknowledge reality. Number two, accept reactions. See, we all handle pain and loss differently. Just because I want to be hugged and held tightly during loss doesn't mean my husband does. Part of walking out life with a loved one after loss is letting them grieve and mourn in their individual way. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, was burdened by the loss of her livelihood and didn't want to pass that burden along to her daughters-in-law. She pushed them away emotionally and told them to go home. Essentially, leave me alone and, and, and be happy and whole again. What could Naomi offer them after this loss and sadness? It's important to recognize what's at play when a grieving person pushes you away. It likely isn't personal at all. That person just might need a little bit of space. So don't let their need for space allow them to live in isolation. Be present. Send a note or a text or an encouraging word. Offer to drop off a meal. And always accept reactions with grace and space. We all handle loss differently. Number one, acknowledge reality. Number two, accept reactions. Number three, avoid remedying. Ugh, I hate this one. But if someone is yelling, weeping, or completely breaking down, don't stop them. Let yourself and others feel all the things. In the midst of trial and trauma and tribulation, there's often anger and despair and depression. This is all part of the grief process, as in you're normal. But in moments of high emotion, we are quick to try and quell a person's feelings as swiftly as possible. Oh, here, 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 you drink this. Oh, here, hey, hey, pop these pills. Oh, shake it off. There's no use in crying. But the Bible documents that when Naomi kissed Ruth and Orpah as they left to go back home, Guess what? All three women wept. All three women cried. There is something cathartic about the shared act of weeping. When we rush through the emotions and find a remedy, we lose the sacred act of mourning until we experience healing. Lastly, affirm reengaging. Life after loss can be disorienting, not just emotionally, but physically as well. Lying in bed with the blinds drawn, eating chocolate, and scrolling through your ex-boyfriend's social media isn't going to help the healing process. But going on a walk, journaling your feelings, or simply doing regular activities like folding laundry or cleaning will help acclimate you to life post-death. If you're supporting a friend who has suffered loss, affirm the steps towards healing. Remember that moving on after death and loss can sometimes feel like learning to walk again. It will take time. It will be exhausting. It will cause frustration. But if you encourage and affirm re-engagement for those whose lives will never be the same, you will, in essence, do the journey with them. And that makes all the difference. If we know how to grieve well, we will heal well and faster. In addition to being able to survive pain and loss, I believe that you could also know how to deal with those who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you can let them know you will fear no evil, as we read in Psalm 23.1. I can't wait for you to listen, learn, and love the Lesko story. Let's welcome Levi Lesko. Somebody gave this quote, a pastor in Texas that was visiting, and I, they attributed it to you, and I think it might be you, but um, that this has been, you know, running a marathon is one thing, swimming, you know, long distance are one thing, but this is felt like this season has been like not just a marathon. Um, it's like an Ironman, I think is what you said. Does that sound, or triathlon? Did you yeah, say that? Yeah, it's like finishing a marathon and being exhausted and ready to go find some pasta and get in the hot tub and being told, no, now you have to get on a bike. And you're like, what? A bike? And then as the years continue to unfold, you find out you're in a decathlon and you're like, I don't even know how to shop put, right? <laughs> That's exactly the way that it feels. Okay. So I think this is a good starting point. We're going to go ahead and jump right in, but here's my thing. Welcome to the podcast, Levi Lesko. We are so excited that you're here, but I have to just give honor where honors due. And so you will hear me refer to you as pastor Levi, because I just, I really love 
uh, not just who you are, but I also love what you do because you do such a good job at that. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. And that is reciprocated, Bianca. Jenny and I love you and Matt and respect you guys endlessly. Your voice is so needed today and your podcast is so powerful. So thanks for having me on it. I love it. Okay. So here's the thing. My fear is that when people find out, oh, Pastor Levi, they might categorize you to be a certain type of way or think a certain type of way. So I just want to put the humanity around you. I follow you on social media. I love watching the stories. I love the kids. I love the humanity. I love your athleticism. So I'm just going to ask a few peppered questions. So like the people know who they're talking to. So I want to know, um, you mentioned pasta and running marathons. You're also very active. What's your favorite food? Ooh, when I'm not fasting, which is <laughs> it's cauliflower, uh, but um, normally I would say Thai food, sushi, or a really good hamburger. Like I like going to a good steakhouse and getting a hamburger. Okay, here's the thing. You're so fit. I can never, I can't imagine you eating a burger. So that has to be a luxury and not like a, a, an indulgence every day. Well, if it's lettuce wrapped, it could be in my normal diet. So that's <laughs> one good thing about the way I eat. But if it's um, Saturday, there's no rules, baby. I mean, Saturday <laughs> is, we call it Slabbeth or uh, we call it um, oh, Fatterday. Fatterday is what we call Saturday. Oh, it's, it's, okay. It's, I yeah, might have to steal that. To town. I love it. I love it. Okay. So favorite foods going to be hamburger, great steak, something like that. I also want to know um, your favorite workout activity because you don't just sit around reading biblical commentaries. You were very active. What's your favorite Workout activity. I love boxing because of the dramatic way you can burn a massive amount of calories very, very quickly. Uh, also love normal weight training. And then um, I'm really big on cold therapy and heat therapy. I was just about to talk to me about the ice bath, please. Because yeah, you, so you, you make me kind of want to do it. We go in a 200 degree sauna and then a 32 degree ice tank. And we go back and forth between the two and it, it burns calories. It's a proven cure for insomnia. It also is just really hard. And so it helps you overcome the adversity psychologically of doing hard things. Okay. I love it. Side note. Um, I know you travel a lot for what you do. And so when you're in Orange County, come to Box House. It's in Newport. Love it. Love it. I think you love it as well. Okay. I'm actually a subscriber of Fight Camp, which is Box oh. House's online version. Yes. I've done a live class at their, their ranch. They have a studio in Costa Mesa. And I went and participated in the live box house workout. I love it. Oh, wait, the one on Bison? Yeah, I don't know. The, they have a studio in Costa Mesa. Wait, is it the one I'm, the, I'm the one I'm thinking about is in Newport. Is it, so, it's on Bison off the 55? So, so box house also has fight camp, which is their Peloton. Ah. And the boxing bag you can have in your house and you punch it. Oh, I saw that. Yes. You an online class. So it's the same company though. And they actually shoot all their, their footage in Costa Mesa and Hello. you can free be in the studio audience, or at least you could pre-COVID. This was back in 2019 in the simple days, Bianca. <laughs> all we as pastors had to worry about was people taking pictures of our tennis shoes. Not like these days when uh, everything's on fire. So I have not been to a class recently, but that was back in the day. Okay. So here's the thing. I, I, I do love to paint a holistic picture of who you are before we go into some of the hard topics, but I think that one of the things that I absolutely love about watching you and what you do from afar is how you lead through loss so beautifully. And I'm not just talking about, I think for those that do know you, you have this amazing, beautiful, heartbreaking story of losing one of your children. And that's a story that's in the introduction, which you haven't heard yet, but I think it's super important 
for people to know that this isn't some, you aren't just a person that I admire from afar. I don't know if you know this, but when you were a youth pastor at a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you had spiky hair. And I remember going in and like listening to you teach. This was years ago. This was years ago. And I remember then, cause I have a, I have a critical ear. I have to admit, I hate to admit and have to, admit, I have a critical ear, but how you spoke about the things of God in such a way that was like applicable, personal, practical, let me know that like, I could trust you because you were going to just shoot it straight and shoot it real. So I think that the conversation that we're going to have at hand today is going to be a reflection of that. So since seeing you lead since gosh you had to be in your 20s and how 21 21 maybe okay because i i i think i might have been in eighth grade or at the beginning of high school because we're not that far in age at all I, I i don't know but i remember like listening to you dive into the word of god and it was so refreshing and so fun but one of the things that i've seen in the last couple of years of following you is that since you've been leading since you were 20 21 wait how old were you when you started ministry 19 Oh, good grief. So one of the things I was in preparing for the interview, I was just like, you have, you've led through financial crisis, the downfall of 2008. You have seen marriages implode and ministry malpractice. We, you lost a child and we can talk about a little bit about that. Cause one of my favorite of all your books still, and will forever be through the eyes of a lion. And now you've led through a global pandemic. So there is something to say about your leadership and living in the midst of and through pain. So one of the things I want to talk to you about is I think for a lot of us coming out of what 2020 was like a really big year and the first couple months of the year have been still unsettling and crazy, but what are some handles that can help us? What are some practical measures that you found in the midst of crisis, in the midst of loss, in the midst of pain that helped you cope? Because what I'm seeing right now is a lot of this next generation feels pain and we numb out. Yeah. rather than facing it. So can you take us a little bit, first of all, give us a little bit of context of what losses look like for you in the last two decades and what you found helpful in like leading through that. Yeah. I think the church is a people who have been called out of the space time of this world to some degree to live anchored in the past and to live hoping for the future. You know, Colossians says that we are, hidden with Christ in God, and that Philippians adds, our citizenship is in heaven. So I think when we believe that the resurrection was an event that gave us new life, and the cross was an event that canceled our citizenship to just this world, and that we have a, a hope of a coming kingdom, a future and a hope, a great high priest, a great king who's promised a world that will not have sin, that will not have fighting, that will not have death, we have at once a hand in the past, a hand in the future. And when we keep those two things firmly in, in, and as a Jesus person, that to me is everything. That when I stand at my daughter's grave, I know I'm going to see her again. And it's not just wishful thinking because I have the receipt. Like when you go into a store to return something, you have confidence if you have a receipt. If you just walk in with a scarf, you're like, oh, I bought this. And you're kind of worried they're going to think you're a shoplifter. But if you have a receipt, you have some swagger in your tone when you slap that scarf down. The, the resurrection, Jesus said, was a receipt because he's the first fruits and that we are all going to follow like his resurrection. So I believe that when I stand at the grave, I believe that when I go through any crisis. And as a pastor, as you mentioned, I mean, we planted our church in 07, 08 was when everything melted down and everything was so uncertain. And so many people were out of work and housing crisis, all that stuff. And I feel like in every crisis, 
every two years, there's been something major. I snapped my femur in half one year into planning our church, literally just bone snapped in half of my femur on a snowmobile rack. I was one year into the church plant. We had very small budget. I couldn't afford guest speakers. So I preached on a couch with my leg propped up for six weeks on pain. <gasps> I had no clue. Oh yeah. And then, and then in 12, uh, my daughter went to heaven suddenly, shockingly. And that was the crisis of all crises for us as parents, of course. And one that I still am grieving and still moving through and still processing. Um, it's always a journey. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's been all the normal things that happen, betrayals, relationships going, going sideways and financial difficulties. We went a million and a half dollars over on a building we were building because of unforeseen asbestos we had to remediate and things we didn't know we were going to find when we ripped up hundred year old walls. And, and there was a day when I literally felt like we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it through this. And God miraculously provided and provided and provided. But what gives you hope is in the present, anchored in the past, hope for the future. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the present. The problem I think today is, is that people are just looking at the present with blinders on and you always are going to feel like panicking when you don't have that historical and future context that Jesus died for us to have. I mean, okay, so I'm trying not to like uh, make this about how this is ministering to me because I really want this to be about everyone and for everyone. But let me tell you something. I'm about to bring up my praise hanky because I needed that word right now. Um, coming out of a pandemic, getting a new building and then thinking, oh, it's going to cost $600,000, $1.2 million in, literally double the budget. We're like, sweet Jesus, you need to take all the wheels right now because this is a little bit rough. So I know that your words are ministering to people because I, I need to hear this right now. So one of the quotes that you have in your book says, suffering isn't an obstacle to be used by God. It is an opportunity to be used like never before. And that quote, I mean, I highlighted, I put stars around because I feel like there's this almost this, when I talk to people, there's almost like this, they feel like God is like using them or that there's like some cosmic killjoy or there's somebody that wants to punish them. So when we're going through pain, it's easy to like buy in that narrative. So what does the other side of pain and loss look like? For you now just listening the, the the broken femur the loss of your baby um church planting budgets all that what does the other side look like it's a crossroads and i believe every single monumentous moment is a crisis is a is a fork in the road so there's a thousand crisis there's a thousand how do you do plural crisis crises crises <laughs> i like that word crises um every crisis that you face is a point where you get to choose. And like you mentioned a moment ago, are you gonna numb and not feel it? Are you going to get bitter? Um, anytime uh, an oyster gets a piece of dirt in it, it, that could turn into infection and full of nothing but pus, or it can turn into a pearl. Mm. It's all about what's coated, what's, what it coats it with. So the femur, the, the, the tragedy, the betrayal, the financial difficulty, those can all be points at which you throw your hands up and declare God not good. Those can be points at which you get exasperated and you become jaded, where you stop dreaming, where you become cynical. And every single person watching, every hard thing you've ever faced is either the chance to become angry and, and quit, or it's the chance to develop, the mm -hmm. chance to evolve, the chance to see it as a cocoon and to come out stronger. So what's on the other side? You ask what's on the other side of pain? I say power. If you avail yourself to the forces that are there meant to catalyze. And I think the big problem is a lot of us see growth. This is one thought that has really been at the forefront 
and it's come up in a lot of different ways and in my counseling journey, but a lot of us see growth as a, a diagonal line. This is what it looks like to grow. It's up and to the right, but that's not how we grow. We grow through a set of staircase stairs. It's up and over, up and over, up and over, mm. up and over. But every single time you get to that ne next step, you first have to hit a wall. And when you hit that wall, there's a temptation to think something's busted. And you oftentimes in that crisis point go, what am I, I, everything was going so good. I was up and to the right. Then I hit this wall. A marriage has that happen. And a lot of people, I've seen it happen on church staffs. I've seen it happen with entrepreneurs. I've seen it happen with college. This newness wears off. And now it's like, wait, everything was supposed to be great. I hit a wall. Yeah, that wall is meant to catalyze you up to the next step. And so what we have to do in those pain moments is believe tucked inside the pain is power. And those same forces that make me want to quit, I need to use to propel me up to the next step. Oh, this is gold. Y'all, I hope people are taking notes. And if, the, uh, if we're talking too fast, listen again, because I think that this is, I, I haven't heard that concept. Uh, to me, everything has to be up and to the right, but I love the concept of stairs, smacking the wall. Now, okay, so I'm gonna parlay this into a little bit of kind of like your creative side. So in addition to being um, a husband and a dad and a pastor, you're a creator. You write books. You, I love your illustrations. I feel like you're always so creative. And so one of the questions I have is, you still create and you lead and you produce even in the midst of crisis. So I watched you and not just you, but the church fresh life during quarantine and during the whole COVID epidemic. And I saw you guys really get creative about how you were communicating the gospel, where you communicate the gospel. So in those moments of crisis, when we just feel like we hit the wall, and we want to give up. How do you still create in those moments? That's such a great question. And I would throw that right back at you as well. Um, Jenny and I were just driving in talking about that because I wrote a new book during quarantine. I started it May 7th. I ended it July 1st. Okay. Hold on. We just have to stop for a second because I'm low-key jealous. You, I thought about this. I, I honestly recently thought about this. I said, I wish I would have taken advantage. Had I known that quarantine was going to be this long, I would have taken advantage of it. But, I mean, there, we were panicking. We lost a building. There was all this other stuff. But you wrote a book. Taylor Swift wrote an album in quarantine. Levi Lesko wrote a book. Please, can we get can we get a sneak peek? What's it about? Tell me everything. Okay, so I, it's all pretty hush-hush right now, but I haven't really told it. I did, it's funny, Bianca. I didn't tell my agent. I didn't <gasps> tell my publisher. No. I didn't, I didn't have permission to write it. Wait. I didn't have a contract. Stop. And I didn't tell them about it till it was 74,000 words long. And so it was a big risk. But what I felt was, I mean, I saw a lot of my friends, a lot of our friends take, and, and everyone has to find their own way through it. But I saw a lot of nervous energy. You know, pandemic created some weird energy and people, it, it, it manifested in different ways. And, you know, some people were on Instagram live 24 seven, some people like, we're doing a reality TV. Some people were, were straight losing their mind. And I understand all that. A lot of, especially if you're normally getting up in front of people, there's an energy that comes from that dynamic. And so maybe there was some pent up adrenaline. Those frequent flyer miles weren't racking up. So they had to find some other way to get that out of their system. And I felt those same tendencies. And I sat there and thought, what do I want when this wave recedes to be left on the shore? What, do I, what body of work do I want? Do I want to have the, been the Levi Lesko reality TV show? And I was like, I actually don't want that because I, I will spend every day just use, doing that. And that creates its own life force. And so I said to myself, I want to write. And so I woke up every day except for Sabbath when I was eating my waffles and my hamburger. What do we call, we called that Fatterday. Remember Fatterday? Fatterday? <laughs> and, 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 and Slabbath. Yeah, so 
I uh, wrote a thousand words a day and, and then some days I would have to double up and I got to 70,000 words and I was like, well, I wrote it. And I thought to myself, if the publisher doesn't like it and doesn't print it, I can burn it and be happy that I did that because the exercise itself, like a cold plunge, was for me important. I am shook. I, I'm not even kidding you. Like, I'm dramatic, but I'm not a liar. This is insane. Okay, so top secret information. Can you give us a little hint about what the book is about? I will, yes. A little, okay. a, a little moosh boosh, just a little something, something. Okay. It involves NASA and the cross. I so am it, so excited. On a journey. So, yeah, and that was the thing. It was kind of a risk when I thought of the book. And then I was like, you know what? The publisher may not like it, but fortunately, the publisher did like it. And it's on, I, I have a contract for it now. I did sell it to them and it's scheduled to come out in February of 2022. So I'm really excited about it. I am so incredibly happy for you. I, I, I didn't, I, honest to God, hand to heaven, I had no clue. So this idea of you creating crisis hasn't been something that just came to you recently. It's been a discipline. So we all love what Taylor Swift is able to do when we think that she's an anomaly. It's not. It's people who are disciplined much like you. I want to, this is actually a great segue into our, our last question, but so much, so many listeners of the podcast and so many people who attend our church, they're very young. And so I think sometimes maybe prone to finding ways to not do what the Lord's called them to do, not step into what they feel like they're being called to. Um, I love the quote, discerning God's calling is more about relationship than route journey rather than destination. And so the question I have for you is for the next generation, the next generation emerging leader, what is something that you wish you knew? When you were in your 20s, think about yourself. We, we probably met most likely at like 21. You were 21 years old. What do you wish that you would have known then? Or what was a great piece of information that somebody older, somebody wiser spoke yeah. into your life? Yeah, really good. Younger. Jerry Seinfeld was asked about his work ethic. And he said that stand-up comedy, and I think there's a lot of corollaries regardless of what business you're in, but stand-up comics have to get up and have, much like pastors, an hour of material 30 minutes of material. They have to constantly updating it. You have to constantly be telling new jokes. It, you're, they're trying to move people to laughter. Spurgeon said that the reason he used laughter was that it was anesthesia that caused the patient to not feel the scalpel when it went in. I think some of the best preachers are funny, you know, like you, bring joy. And then when they're laughing, they don't feel themselves bleeding, you know, that the, uh. the conviction came in, right? So Seinfeld said that comedy is a tonnage game. Tonnage, T-O-N-N-A-G-E meaning he writes 20 bad jokes for every one good one he writes. Mm. So the only way to write good jokes is to be willing to write a whole lot of bad ones and to be disciplined about it. And so I think I, I was hoping that every sermon would be a, a slam dunk, a home run, not realizing in creation, you're going to create a lot of stuff that's just okay, but you have to keep creating, keep creating, keep writing, keep searching, keep being diligent. And I, I think earlier on, I wish I would have known that the only way to get to the good essay is to write a bad essay. The only way to get a good page for the book is a bad one. And so that diligence of creating a lot and then being able to mine out the gems and being okay with bad work, not bad work in that it was lazy, bad work in that it's just not all going to shine, but it was necessary to get to the good stuff. Here's the God honest truth. I think that I needed this podcast more than anyone else. Every single thing that you said was what I referred to as a now word. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. I'm grateful for you because you constantly set the bar. 
and you are the barometer of what it looks like to lead in crazy times and to flourish even in the midst of loss, pain, and sadness. So I just, off outside of the podcast, I just want to say thank you to you and Jenny, the family, the team, the staff, Fresh Life Church. I feel so honored to know you and watch you from afar. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. You're too kind. And for the podcast listeners to know, it's his wife's birthday and he took time out of the day to be on the podcast. So I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but it's <laughs> some of the listeners are like, that's not good. Yeah. Well, we got a little present for Jenny coming in the mail just for this, this short little time that I got to steal from you. But I just want to say that we love you. Um, when I say we, me, me and Matt, Matt and I, we love you and we're grateful for you. So keep on going. I can't wait to read the book. And I love that we got like a little sneak peek into like the secret I book that's coming out. Anybody about it. I mean, it's been pretty secret, but y'all, we heard first. I love it. Some days though, I was shaking, you know, because but you know, some of those days when you're like, I always watch the Fauci thing for the morning and I'm like, what the heck's going on? Is there going to be church ever? We just canceled Easter. All right. Time's all right. And literally there's a couple of times that I felt like I was, sh I was shaking, but it gave me like a, it was almost like therapy to just, wow. I would turn Wi-Fi off and just write. So. Oh, lessons learned. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Pastor Levi. Really, really appreciate yeah, you. Give, give my love to your husband. Will do. Thank you. I told you you would love Pastor Levi. Honestly, no one thinks or works like Levi. He has so many books and amazing resources that you should check out. A link to his books and church are in the show notes, and I hope you're able to continue to learn from his wisdom. It would mean the world to me if you tagged him at Levi Lesko and at Bianca Oltoff on social media and share what you learned. As my thank you to you, two lucky winners will get a copy of Through the Eyes of a Lion, Facing Impossible Pain, Finding Incredible Power. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, leave a loving note and review. This helps get the show into more ears and more hearts. Unless it's Saturday because... But if it's um, Saturday, there's no rules, baby. Thanks for joining, and I can't wait to chat next week. <laughs>